Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you. If anybody's on their way, we ask that you bring them quickly. And we thank you for the news that Annie is out of the hospital and back home and feeling good. We ask you to bless this time of study today and guide and lead all that we all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 49. To the chief musician, a psalm for the sons of Korah. Hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be on understanding. I will incline my ear to a parable. I will open my dark sayings upon the harp. Therefore, wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever. That he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he sees that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person, brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and that their dwelling place to all generations they call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being, being in honor abides not. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of their following, yet their prosperity approves their, their saying, Selah. Like sheep they are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in all in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But the Lord will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. He shall receive me, Selah. Be not afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies he shall carry away nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him, Though while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise him when, when you do well to yourself. He shall go to the generations of his father. He shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is, is like the beast that perishes. All right. As you can hear, this song is about the fact that all people die. So... We're going to go through it a little bit. Verse 1. Hear this, all you people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world. And this is kind of an interesting, this is kind of like, hear ye, hear ye. You know, everybody listen. Uh, and he starts out, all you people give ear. And then all ye inhabitants, all that dwell on the world, hear. So he's wanting to say, I want everybody to pay attention to this song. Then uh, he repeats this both low and high, rich and poor together. And this is kind of interesting. I'm not sure that low and high is the best definition on this because, it, because in Hebrew it's ben Adam and ben Ish, which means Adam is man as a whole group and Ish is man as individuals. So I think the better translation of low and high would have been That's one and all. Okay, we, said, we, 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 we will say the same, here, one and all, you know, individually and everybody all together. And I think that's what it's saying here. See, that's why a lot of times I don't understand what you're talking about when they say both low and high. Like you're saying, I just figure, okay, low and high, like it's high ground and it's low ground. Not on people, you know, because mine says both low and high. Well, it mean, what it's talking about there, and that, that would be redundant. If it is low and high, it's talking about poor, you know, people of high, high estate and low estate. And then it goes on to say rich and poor. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I don't, I looked at it, nobody, had, but when I looked into it as to what Adam and Ish mean, you know, it is man singularly and man as a group. So I think it is better, would have been better translated, you know, both, you know, one and all. And we, we have that statement, you know, I want you to listen, listen one and all. I'm talking to everybody here and you individually as well. Uh, so, and he's saying, you know, rich and poor. So he's including everybody. He's wanting everybody to listen to this parable or this song. song. It says, my mouth shall speak of wisdom and the med meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. 
Okay, and, and we've talked about this, that his mouth shall speak wisdom. And what have we defined wisdom as? Does anybody remember? Wisdom is the idea of applied knowledge. Okay, you can know all kinds of stuff and be pretty dumb in day-to-day -day living. And we've all probably met people that, brilliant people, they could tell you the ins and outs of everything, but they make the dumbest decisions that can ever be, ever be seen. Uh, and you know, they say that about a lot of the brilliant people in our history, people like Einstein, who just couldn't in interact with the day-to-day -day people. And the same thing is said of Edison, that he was, you know. Well, that is true. They said people intelligent because when my husband was alive, he was very, very intelligent for common sense. No. And, and there's lots of people that have no common sense, you know, yeah, they just, they can't, can't remember to turn lights off. Well, they can't remember to tie their you know, shoes. Like, I know how to cut a board a certain way. Well, why do it this way? And so he does it the hard way. I just let him do it. Yeah. And so, and, he, and basically he's saying, you know, my mouth will speak of wisdom. It'll be understanding. It'll be true. My meditate and the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. And what is meditation? Musing. Contemplating, thinking, thinking it over, mulling it over. Not, mulling it over is a good word for that. You, you just you keep thinking it over and over and think about it. You know, it's not like most people. And a lot of times, when people say meditation, they're thinking of somebody sitting there with their fingers in a certain way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to me, meditation is to remember, keep it in your head, and remember. Remember it, and, remember. and go go over it, and think yeah. about it, and. And when God says that we are to meditate on his word, that means that we read his word and then we think it over. We let it percolate in our mind and it starts connection. He starts forming connections. And so his meditation of his heart shall be of understanding. And understanding, again, is that whole idea of going forth with that information. It, it's more than just understanding. It is to, to reason, to, to have intellect. And this is one of the great things about Christianity is that God challenges us. He says, come now, let us reason together in Isaiah. Okay? He wants us to think. He doesn't, you know, if you, some, 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 you know, starts, some religions tell you just believe it because you're told to believe it and don't, and don't think, you know, don't think about it. And that's not God's point of view. He wants us thinking. He wants us reasoning. He wants us to, he's right. even, he's not afraid of questions even. And this is one of the things I tell people. I want people to be able to ask questions because if you can't ask the questions in the church, where are you going to ask the questions? Out in the world, and you're going to get the wrong yeah. answers. And or one of the answer that you think is believe it, so then you believe it. Well, it'll sound like a great answer, yeah. but it is so critical. And I used to teach teachers because I've taught a lot of teachers, and I always taught them there is no question that is is. Uh, a sacrilege or, or two, you know, people would hear, you know, how do we know there's a God? Well, let's give them the answers to how do we know there's a God? That's, that's a valid question and the place to ask it would be in the church rather than going out in the world and say, how do we know there's a God? And they're going to go, well, well you don't, you, there is no God. What are you talking about? You know, is and it, so. Is it okay like in the church or read the Bible, read Genesis and you read the See, Bible? Sometimes, like you say, I don't know the right answer a lot of things, so I may tell my simple, easy one that I know. And that's fine. You tell them what you know, or if you don't know the answer, you say, I'd like to get you the answer and give it to, you know, and I'll get back with you. But the key to this is when somebody says, how do I know there's a God? There's a lot of proofs that, you know, virtual proofs that can teach us that there's a God. And then we go, how do we know that our God is the God is a whole other story altogether. But we need to get in this. When people say, how do you know that the Bible is true? There's all kinds of proofs that we can say. You know. And one of the greatest proofs that I've taught here is it's, the Bible is written by 40 different authors over 1,400 years, over 1,400 years, and there's no contradictions in it. Okay? And one few contradictions they think are out there are easily explained. And, I, you know, and anybody tells me there's a contradiction in the Bible, the first thing I'm going to ask is name me one. Because usually they don't have one. Because it's just something they've heard. There's contradictions in the Bible, so I don't have to believe it. And they've never been challenged to. 
And a handful of people that will give me, an, give me a challenge, you know, an apparent contradiction, I know the top 15 that they're going to come up with and I know the answers for them. So there, there's, not, there's easy answers for everyone they want to throw out at you. Uh, but it's fun. it's fun to be able to say, ask the questions because God is not afraid of questions. The truth is never afraid of challenges. Lies are always afraid of challenges. And this is why it's important. If you're going to a church and they say, believe it because I told you, get far away from that church because whether what they're telling you is a lie or not, they're setting you up to accept lies in the future. Because the truth is never afraid of being challenged. Most Christian schools in, in biology will teach you the principles of evolution just because you need to know it. So when you're talking to people, you know what they're talking about. Not that they believe it, it's not taught. They teach creationism in a good Christian school, but you're taught what most people believe and then they're taught how it is all a bunch of baloney. And the truth is never afraid of a lie. And we all know that. If, we, if we're telling the truth, we have no problem with people questioning it and, and challenging it. If we've told a lie, we get a little more nervous because it's easy to get tripped up in a lie and so truth will always be set you free, will always be something that will be stand up. Uh, verse four, I will incline my ear to, the par to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. So David, is, or whoever wrote this psalm, uh, this psalmist is saying, I'm going to incline my ear to a parable. Now what is a parable? A story that teaches a lesson, a short story that teaches some lesson. This could also be what they call a byword, which in the byword is some object of con contempt. Okay, so he's going to say, "I'm ready to open up a short story." Uh, to and I'm going to incline my ear. I will open up a dark saying, and this dark saying literally means a hard saying, something that's per perplexing. Uh, another thing that is sometimes translated in a riddle. Yeah, mine says, yeah. I will express my riddle on the heart. Yeah. So something that perplex, because a good riddle is something you don't see right through unless you know the, unless you know the riddle. Um, and if you've ever been asked a riddle, you know, a riddle that you've never heard before, they, you know, they, they're hard to, to figure out. Uh, so we're already being warned. We're going to present, we're going to present something that's troublesome, that's, that's, a, that's, that's something that's going to be a lesson for you, something for you to ponder. When, when you're given a riddle, you're expected to ponder it and try to figure out what the, what the riddle means. Verse 5, wherefore should I fear the days of evil when the iniquity of my, of, of my heels shall compass about me? So David, the writer is saying, you know, why should I, refer, why should I fear the days of evil? Why should I fear the days of uh, advisory? Of what? A-D-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y. Adversity. Adversity. Evil, adversity, trouble. Whatever term you want to put in there is, uh, you know. And this is a key thing. For those of us who follow God, we should not have a fear of the troublesome days that are going to come our way. And the reason being, God is in control. He won't let anything come our way that's not devised by him to teach us something. You know, and as we go back into Job, Job, Job was hammered hard by God, or by Satan, and God let Satan hammer him to teach him things, to teach him things he didn't understand, to teach his three, three friends, or three friends and plus one, four friends, <laughs> something as well about God. And it was all, all designed for a teaching lesson. And we kind of look at that and say, wow, that was a hard lesson. You know, why did he have to be so hard on him? Well, partially was that Job had grown to a place that he could handle a hard lesson. Is it okay, I don't know, maybe I'm going to say it wrong, is it okay that to me, I'm not leaning on God a lot. I believe that nothing will really happen to me in a way because God's with me and... Like, there's a lot, I mean, there's things that I don't want to do because I figure I don't need it because God's with me. Like, just saying, for instance, 
taking certain kind of medicine. I don't want to take it because I just pray and I don't need it. And my one sister says in California, well, God uh, created doctors. And I said, yeah, I said, there's some things that, yes, I will go. But there's a lot of things now I'm not afraid of because I know God's there. And then a lot of times I can say to you guys, they said, well, aren't you afraid that your house, you're there by yourself? Aren't you afraid someone's going to rob you or steal you? Because I really don't lock anything. I mean, I lock it if I'm really gone away. But my house, I have between my house, my, my, my house and my shop, I don't have a door. I have just this door that I made. And I have wind chimes, and then I have this big picture of Jesus there. He said, aren't you afraid somebody's going to go through Because I have a bungee cord to close it. I says, no, because this is my security guard, and if they want to go through him, fine. There's, there's a place between having faith in God and trusting God and being presumptuous and doing things with, you know, that, that shouldn't be done. Uh, I believe that I'm protected. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't do anything stupid. I mean, I will. I mean, I don't invite people in, but yeah. there's things that I know if they really want it, I mean, they're going to have to face the consequences. And that's a big part of it. There's, you know, you let God be your defense, and that's what it comes down to. We let God be our defense, yeah. and He's going to defend us. That's and what and I, like I say, we're not, I'm not going to be stupid. I'm not, not going to invite everybody in the room, you know, to come in and steal my stuff. Because He but. knows I'm there by myself, you know, and. Um, but you cannot spend time being afraid of the I'm future. I'm not afraid at all. And you know, that's one thing. People say, aren't you afraid? I no, because yeah. I mean, I have common sense. I know I don't let anybody in my house part, just in the shop part, you know. They said, what's over there? I said, that's my house. This is my shop, so I don't go in there. And that's the key on this is that we're not going to be doing something stupid, but by the same token, everything I have belongs to God. So, so if, he, if somebody really, wants yeah. it more than I do, then, may, yeah. you know, then God will deal with them for taking it from me, and God will deal, you know, and if they take something of, you know, of value for yeah. scripture and stuff. Maybe they'll read my, steal my Bible and read yeah. my Bible and get saved. I don't know. Uh, like, doctors get to be a little more interesting yeah. because, yes, God gave them the knowledge, but many doctors in this day and age really aren't even doing much to help people. They're, all they're doing is prescribing like, prescribing drugs. I, so it's. I'm saying, like, I. I haven't asked my security guard and my protector, and just like I know we're off the track, but I have property towards the Grand Canyon. Somebody broke into my fifth wheel. I have up there, and it looks like I have all dark green on the outside, so it looks like it's a um, what do you call it? These people that are shooting for animals that the um, that go shoot for deer and stuff. You know what do you call it? Poachers. But anyway, poachers or whatever, because it's each parcel is 40 acres. Well, I didn't have the one window. Locked, and so they broke into it. The outside looks like manly. The inside is pastel colors. I have my Bible on the table. I have no liquor in there. I have no nothing. And I think they were shot, and they didn't do anything. <laughs> they, they did not do nothing. They went in. They went out. The only thing they took was a lighter, because that's for my stove. But I figure so now I make sure I lock it. You know, but yeah. it was just cool how they thought it was someone going to have liquor in there all the time. No, nothing. Yeah. But all that is true. I mean, the idea of should we be fearing the future at all? I don't believe so. There should be nothing that we're fearful of because God is in control. Nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to happen to me that God does not allow. Now, if I'm being stupid and yeah, doing well, dumb that. things, then I deserve, I deserve what yeah. I get. But by the same token, I'm not going to be fearful of what's going on. I'm not fearful of of dying, you know, because as I wrote in the bulletin today, yeah. dying is the greatest thing that can happen to us. We'll go to heaven oh, and, yeah. and be done with everything. Uh, I don't care if I'm gone tomorrow. But I would be grateful. The really? whole idea is that God is in control and he's going to, nothing happens. And this is the greatest thing we hear, learn from Job, is nothing happens without God's permission. Satan has to ask permission to do anything. Uh, we can reap what we sow and have bad things happen because of what we've done. But even that is God's, God's allowing it to happen because he knows what's coming. And so there is, should not be any fear. There should not be anything. And this is what we're going to look at as we get into this. You know, verse 6 says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches... 
None of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God the ransom for himself. And this is those, he's saying those who are trusting, they have confidence in their, in their, in their wealth and they are boasting about how rich they are. And we probably all have seen both sides of that. You know, uh, well, I can just go out and buy whatever I want. I don't need anything. I've got plenty of, plenty of money. And they get boastful, and they put in all their faith in, in their money. And their money can disappear overnight. Yeah, the IRS. Yeah, well, <laughs> not even just the IRS. I mean, we've seen instances. Um, Insider trading. I mean, I've seen that going on. Yeah, but I'm thinking more of things like in German post-World War Germany when they when they had hyperinflation, oh, yeah. and these people would have millions of marks, and all of a sudden they they take wheelbarrows of money to the to the store to buy to buy the groceries they needed for that day, because the money had become worthless. Uh, there were periods of time when. You did not, you wanted to be paid that day for the work that you did because the money a week from now would be worthless. Again, it was like that. So during the Great Depression, it was like that. People wanted to be paid immediately because they weren't sure that you would, number one, be in business, and they weren't sure that the money would be worth anything later on. And there might not be anything to buy anyway. So wealth really is very fleeting, and we can see it disappear instantly. And so, the idea of people who have a lot of money, and then it goes in, but, but this writer saying by verse seven, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give God a ransom, and that's a life ransom, that is pay for their life. Okay, when it's time to die, it is time to die, and it doesn't matter how much money you have. You, know, you, cannot, buy off, you cannot buy off death. Uh, People would love to be able to sometimes, but it, the idea is no matter how wealthy you are, death is going to find you, and you can't, you can't redeem your, your, your relative, you can't redeem a friend, you can't redeem yourself when God comes Cry, to say it's time to go home. Cryogenics or something. <laughs> cryogenics. I people try that, save my head, they freeze it. They freeze their whole bodies trying to hope that someday science will catch up with them. But this whole idea that the, the writer of the psalm is saying, hey, it doesn't matter how much money you are, when it's time to die, you're going to die. And, and we all know that that's true. We all know that that's true. And then in parentheses it says, for redemption for the soul is precious and it ceases forever. In other words, the soul is so valuable that you couldn't even do it. You can't redeem it anyway. Uh, and this is where God says in the scriptures, precious is the death of my saints in the eyes of the Lord. Okay. God says it's precious because they get to come home. You know, to, him, to him, the death of his people is a precious thing because they're, they're coming home and returning to him. Verse 9, that he should live, still live forever and not see corruption. Again, so this is the idea that somebody's going to live. They're not going to see corruption. Corruption here is the idea of hell, the, the grave, death. Okay? So he's trying to say that this first portion is all about the rich. You know, the rich aren't even going to get to the place that they can live forever. And no person's going to live forever. Uh, even, in, even when we had a perfectly genetic body, Adam and Eve and that generation, the longest live, living person was 969 years. And that was Methuselah. So a thousand years has pretty much been the limit of man, even from the beginning. Now man was created to live forever. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created not to die. And our body is self-replicating. It should live forever. It, it replicates itself. And yet, with the sin in it and the degeneration that we face, we will die. And everybody knows that we'll face death. The ultimate goal of science and medicine is to try to get us to live forever. It'll never happen, but that is their goal that they're trying to reach. Uh, I was reading the other day about this guy who was talking about doing a head transplant onto a new body to try to, to try yeah. to make the person live and you know, live. You know, uh, but the idea is you take the body off of one person and put it on a body that has just recently died of brain damage or something, and you you give the person a new body and I don't know how that will work, how that would even work. Frankenstein. 
But they're already playing with it with animals. They're trying to do it with animals. No animal that's had it happens lived. The evil guy's head onto the body of yeah, and because of the brain. Yeah. Frankenstein. It, it is a, it's an interesting thought, but it, it's all because man is trying to extend, extend, expand past his lifetime. And that is where they've always been trying to do. Verse 10, for he sees that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. So not only, not only the rich, but he says the wise men, the one who's probably should be living because they're applying knowledge, they're living good, they die. Also the fools die. And the brutish, the foolish, stupid, or the brutish, the ones who are acting like animals. And we've all seen people that act like, act, they're brutish. They just, they don't seem to be human in the way they act and, and behave. Senseless, yeah, that's a good, that's a good definition for that. The brutish person is kind of senseless. They're, they're, you know, they, they do dumb things. They're, they're, they're brutal, they're mean. So basically now he said, the rich and the poor die, the wise and the fools die. The, the ones who are acting like animals die. <laughs> okay? He's, he's, bring, he's bringing it all together. And they leave their wealth to others. In other words, the old saying, you, don't, you never see somebody that dies and they take their possessions with them. It just doesn't happen. You're eventually going to leave whatever you own, whether it be much or little, you're going to leave to somebody that's coming after you. And so it's been here. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call the lands after their names. And isn't this true that everybody kind of lives like they're going to live forever until they finally get sick enough that they realize they're not going to live? But you think about this as, as well, like, once you get out of the teenage to 20 years, because most of those people think they're going to die, you know, you know, most most uh, young young people think they're dead, going to be dead by the time they're thirty or forty. You know, it's it's amazing how old gets gets further out the older you get. Yeah, like yeah. When 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 you're a teenager, those those thirty year olds are those guys are old, and then you get to be twenty or thirty, and it's like. 40 or 50 becomes old. You get to 50 and 70 or 80 becomes old. I always say it takes forever to get to be 21. You can't wait to be 16. You get to realize, then you're 20, can't wait to be 21 and wait to be I would constantly have to gamble or whatever. And then the next thing you know, you're married with children. I'll never yeah. forget when, yeah, when I was 20. Yeah. yeah. 18 was the only one that meant any, I mean, at 16 was good. I got my license. 18, I could vote. After that, I didn't care because I wasn't ever planning to drink. So. Yeah. Twenty-one meant nothing to me at all. It was just a, just a date that passed I by. Yeah, you get in a casino. I know when I was working in California, we had friends, and I was like, not turn twenty. We had a girlfriend that was thirty-three. Oh, we hope we get like that when you're that when we're that old. <laughs> we're that old. We thought we like she was old. We had to card people for cigarettes, you know, if they weren't eighteen. And the boss said on a side, he goes, I don't care if they crawl up in diapers. If they can get money into the cigarette machine, just let them buy them. So, no. yeah. That'll get you in trouble and get you a lot of fines. You had kids sneaking around it, sneaking, throw a quarter and sneak throw another quarter. And, you know, like I can't see them. I'm in the booth, you know, in the yeah. Anyway, it was like that. So I'd catch them and I'd say, you get out of here. You can't really plant cigarettes. Yep. But this whole idea of, you know, so many people have this thought, they kind of think, I'm going to live forever. Uh, and you know, it goes from an extreme of you know, not, not thinking you're going to live for a long time, but there's that, there's that idea that you live and you do your daily life as if there's nothing going to happen to you. And we all know in the back of our mind that, that you know, or in our cognizant mind that we're going to die. But it's really true that we kind of make plans like I'm not going to die, you know, and I'm going to make plans like nothing's going to happen to me. When I'm, when I'm this old, I'm going to retire, and when, you know, I'm going to go do this, you know, and do this. And, and, the, and the scriptures say that, you know, people make that plans as if they're, you know. And then it says, I love this, and they name their lands after their own names. <laughs> I don't understand that. Well, if you, especially if you're around rich people, They'll name their hall, they'll, they'll name buildings after themselves, and, and 
you know, like Trump and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's the idea of putting their life together. Uh, ranchers oftentimes would name, name their ranches oh, yeah. after themselves or their family name or their kid, kid's name. But, you know, it's the high idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my name out there forever. I'm going to make myself, even if I can't live, my name is going to live into forever. Uh, doesn't work, but they try. And that's what he's saying. You know, they're living as if they're going to live forever. They're trying to name name property and lands that they're going to live forever, and that their name is going to continue on. But they say we go back to that previous verse. They're still going to die. Their wealth is going to go to somebody, usually their family. But if they have no family, who knows where it's going to go to? That must be odd because I'm naming my place up at the Grand Canyon. It's called Boot Camp for Boot Camp for Tea Toddlers. Yeah. <laughs> so then they know there's no booze there. I mean, it's not saying that everybody's going to do this, but a lot of the people do, especially yeah. the people that have money. Verse 12, nevertheless, man. Herb's Castle is named after Herb's. Hmm? You know, the Herb's Castle, that's the... It's not called Herb's Castle. Yeah, because you're not going to make it much past that. First of all, nevertheless, man, being in honor, abides not. He's like the beast that perish. Okay, so this is another classification. He goes, even the people who are honored, you know, and honor is that they're given glory, they're, 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 they're given praise. People like them. <laughs> they like them. They think they're worth having around. Even they are going to die. So he's going through the different classes. I mean, this is kind of a almost a dark type of, of song because he's saying it doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing, you know, what they think of you, you're going to die. Sounds like Edgar Allan Poe thing, forevermore, evermore, yeah. or never more. This is their way. This their way is their is their is their folly. Yet their prosperity approve their saying, Selah. In other words, this is the way they're going to do it. Now, even if they're living in folly or their prosperity, this approves the saying, they're going to die. They're going to die. And this is something that we always want to remember. We are in, the end of it is that we're going to die unless we happen to live until the rapture and then we as Christians get to go home without dying. And that's the only way we're going to escape death is when, when Jesus calls out and all the Christians disappear from the world and we don't have to face death that way. But it's quite a long time. I couldn't figure out folly, so I looked it up. Folly is foolishness. Mm -hmm. What is folly? Like? They're foolishness. Because I want you to think foolishness. That's easier for me. <laughs> well, folly is a little is is. Folly it's not like just it. foolishness in one time. I mean, it, folly is a pattern of foolishness usually. Um, and they called they called the purchase of the Louisiana purchase you know a foolishness uh, folly. They called the purchase of Alaska uh, folly. I would think folly follow allow that goodness. <laughs> 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 Sigfield follies. Yeah, so that's why they call it so I yeah, don't know. Yeah. So I mean. But folly is that whole idea that you're doing something really dumb, it's really foolish, uh, and it's kind of deeper than just being foolish because you can be foolish on a decision and not necessarily be considered folly. Uh, but, but a good definition, you could say, if you look at folly and put foolishness in there, it works. Well, that's what I do, because yeah. folly just doesn't follow me. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 14, like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall shall consume in the grave for their from their dwelling. So this is again he's describing, you know, basically when they looked at sheep, sheep only had two purposes. One was to give you wool, and the other was to feed you. <laughs> when when it got old enough, or you just were hungry, you killed one of your sheep or your goats, and you ate. Uh, and so sheep were designed for the grave, according to this, and, and death will feed on them. Death feeds on all people. 
And there's this the idea of personifying death. You know, the death will overtake you. And it says, the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty, their image shall be consumed in the grave from their dwelling. And consumed here is that whole idea of corruption. Uh, when you die, whatever, you know, and you're in the grave, your looks are going to go. As your body turns into bone, your looks, you could be the most beautiful person put in the grave, and very quickly the body degenerates and, and ends up, you know, looking as all the decayed bodies that you've ever seen the pictures of around. That's why I'm like, my dad said drive fast and leave a good looking corpse. Leave a good looking corpse. Yeah, be a good, look, be a good looking corpse. Drive fast and be a good looking corpse. But this verse says, you know, it doesn't matter how good looking you are when you die, you're going to face Maybe. corruption. Yeah, in a box know. or in your bones. Yeah, you're, yeah. you know, and given long enough, even the bones disappear from a, from a grave unless they're sealed up like the mummies and everything that Egypt did, you know, sealed up the mummies and preserved, preserved things. But over time, even bones will be disintegrated. Uh, and this is why there's a lot of people who say that, you know, you know, have a problem with creation, uh, cremation because they figure that it's going to make it difficult for God to put their body back together. You know, God's not going to have any problem putting your body back together. Besides the fact that our entire body cells change. I can't remember if it's three months or three years, but let's say three years. You know, in the three-year period, every cell in your body has died and been put together. And I think it's probably three months. It's not a very long period of time. And you're not the same person as you were a few, you know, a, a previous time because every, every cell in your body is constantly dying and being regenerated. And so corruption is happening even in our own bodies. As we live, we're starting to see the corruption as, we, as our body dies and changes, changes its condition. Uh, the wrinkles develop, the, the dryness of skins, the soreness of joints. Uh, you know, our body starts falling apart. You know, and again, we don't really understand it because we know that the body keeps regenerating itself over and over, and yet age is part of it. And it's because of the fall of Adam and Eve that that happens. I know my mind's that young, but my body's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Believe me, I understand that. I tried playing softball about four years ago, and, and I would reach up to do what I, my mind was saying, you can do this. You always have been able to do this. And my body's screaming, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, who do you think you are trying to do that move? You can't do that anymore. My mind is telling me, yes, I can, I can reach up and jump, jump at the same time. And you know, my body's going, uh, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> Well, a couple of months ago, I was loading trash in the in our house into the back of the pickup for my for my stepfather, and I got up on top to help step it down. And when I was young, I'd have just jumped up and down and got to the end, jumped off the. And I'm looking down over the edge, and going, "That's a long way down." Yeah, and you know your ankles. You know, you're gonna be. I wasn't worried about the ankle. I was worried about maybe falling and breaking an arm or 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 something. You know, I, know, I wasn't I worried about jumping. You know, this. We would. I used to now use a crate. I can use crate. Get on the crate. Get on the truck. Yeah, the idea of jumping off the back of a truck to me is not, you know, and I used to jump off like one-story buildings, no problem. I just jump off, no, not even think twice about it. And now I look at them only about six feet off the ground. It's like, that's a long ways down. More careful. But, but that is how we start thinking. We start realizing that we are falling apart, that God is, you know. Then we keep saying that. <laughs> well, that's what the topic is, unfortunately. <laughs> Verse 15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me, Selah. This is where it starts turning. God redeems our soul when we're righteous. What does Selah mean? Selah means to stop, pause, lift up. They really don't understand what it means. It, it's believed that it's one of two things. It's either a musical term and if it's a musical term, they think that it means to go to a new, new pitch in the next stanza. There's also those who really say it's, it's to pause, contemplate what you, 
what we have just caught, read. It, well, I remember because like Dorothy Day sings that song, Say La, Say La. That's what I keep saying. Why are they keep saying Say La? Dorothy Day's not in it. So it's a word that they don't truly understand. And this is, this is true. We see this a lot. I see that a lot, yeah. Where there's technical words. Uh, I remember listening to somebody who was from Australia on the radio. She was doing uh, co-hosting. And this show came on, the, the idea of the curtains. And these guys were talking all about ballot. Um, I can't even say the word. You know, they had names for every part of the curtain. Yeah. You know, and she goes, well, we don't have those names. And I'm thinking, I'm sure they had the names. You just didn't know the names for you know, and there's these technical terms when you get into singing, when people start talking about rhyme and rhythm and beat and, you know, all the different terms for music that I don't even know all the terms for music. Staccatos. You know, and, you know, so there's these technical words and a lot, especially in Psalms, we find a lot of these technical words where we don't truly know what they mean. So they go, this is what we think they mean. And uh, it's just like in a, when you're building, you know, builders have these, you know, and people that do construction, they have little terms that mean things to them that mean nothing to anybody else. You know, it's kind of in the world of jargon, if you know what jargon means. And, and Christians have lots of jargon. We, we, we throw words around in, in churches, and a lot of times people don't, the problem with jargon words is sometimes people don't even know what they mean. They just know, well... When, when this word is said, this is what happened. So I kind of think I know what it is, but I don't know what it is. And they use it a lot. Or it, could you call it slang? Please? Not so much slang, but it, but it could be that idea. that There's words that mean something to certain people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that gets a generation gap where the kids are speaking words yeah. that we think we know. Or, you know, you think that. I've never heard that word jargon. I heard slang, like something that you're making up that they'll understand it's not really it. Well, jargon isn't necessarily made up. It's just words that are true for one segment of a group of people. You know, work, uh, construction workers have jargon. They'll, you know, they'll, you know, and I can't even begin, but, you know, computer people will talk and they'll, and, and, we'll, and we'll all know what each other's saying because we know the words. Anybody listening to you going, what the heck are they talking about? It's just a frame of a building. We had this discussion the other day. I call it a Joyce. It's been called a Joyce, a frame of a building. Joyce. And I had argued, it's called it's a Joyce with a T. And I said, no, it's a Joyce. It's it is with a T in it, but. It is with a T in yeah. it, but construction workers don't put the T. It's always. Yeah, but that's, not, that's not getting into, you know, but that is the idea. I mean, that's you, you would call something. That's jargon. You know, jargon is where you pretty much simplify a lot of words, and what you mean is something a lot deeper yeah. than what you than the one word, and people just know what it is. And even in Christianity, we have these ideas of salvation, redemption, sanctification, justification, mercy, grace. You know, we have all these words that we talk about, and they mean things to us because we understand them. But you get outside of the church. And you better be careful what words you say because they'll look at you like you're a nut. They don't have no idea what you're talking about. Born again is one of those words that you know people know that it's a Christian, you know, a Christian word, but they really don't know what it means. So we have to be careful about the words we use. When and and this is when you're when you use jargon, you have to be careful because if you're outside of the group that understands that word, all of a sudden they're looking at you like, what are what gibberish are you talking about? We just don't understand understand what you're talking about. And so there are lots of words. And I think Selah is one of those words. There's all kinds of contemplation on what it is, what it means. But this is ancient Hebrew and nobody knows what it means. So they kind of just leave Selah in there. And we don't know what, we don't know how to define it. So I we're just, just putting Selah. I just figured that somebody's name Selah. Well, okay. And then, no. you know, skip over it. Like, okay, there's that word again. I don't know. Yeah. But it is one of those things, uh, it, it's got multiple meanings. If you research it, there, there's all kinds of speculation on what it means. And we, unfortunately, don't know what it means. But here is, God will redeem our soul from the power of the grave. When God comes to his righteous, he redeems us. He buys us back. And he brings us into a place where we're not going to sit there and have our soul gone into hell. And very powerful. 
very powerful when we think about it, that God buys us back. And we know, we as Christians know that that's through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Uh, verse 16, be not afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry away nothing. His glory shall not descend after him. So it's, when somebody's made rich, we're not to be afraid of them, is what he's saying. Because they're going to die. <laughs> this is a very pragmatic psalm that's out there. Because sometimes people get afraid of the rich because they have, being rich usually gives people power. If nothing else, they have the power to buy what they want. And sometimes that makes things difficult for people. And we've seen it, you know, where, where they buy laws to make people, you know, lose stuff. The government will take things. Uh, all of this is in there. But he says, don't be afraid of the rich because they're just like everybody else. And, I, and we kind of we have a proverb in our day that everybody puts their, their pants on one leg at a time. You know, it doesn't matter how rich or poor or strong or, or weak they are. They're all, really, everybody is the same. And that's what he's saying here. Everybody's going to die. They're, they're all the same. They stand or fall before God. God will redeem them if they're righteous. And if they're not righteous, then the result is that they will face corruption in death. They will die and go to hell. And it says, you know, when they're rich, their glory is increasing. When they die, they don't carry away anything. They don't get to take it with them. Nobody, nobody goes to heaven or hell with a load of possessions in, the, in a truck, in a trailer behind them. They're, they go when they're by themselves. And this is important for us to understand. If God is with us, we have everything. And this is why, as Christians, what we do and what we let God do puts treasure in heaven. And the more treasure we put in heaven ahead of us, the more we will have when we get there. There, there are going to be some people that get to heaven and, they, and they're going to walk in the door of their, their uh, suite of rooms or their lack of suite of rooms and have nothing. And then there's going to be some that will have a large suite of rooms all fully decorated. And I've always thought of it in this way. Some people are going to go up there and they're going to have a studio room in heaven, in the mansion of heaven, because that's all they deserve. Other people are going to have the pen, you know, be up at the top of the penthouse suite with all kinds of rooms and fully decorated because that's what they've done on earth to deserve. And we'll, of course, you'll be happy if all you have is the studio in heaven. It's a lot better than the alternative of being in hell. But Jesus is preparing the room, the place for us. He's, it says mansions, but it actually talks about suites. And when we, did, when we picture heaven, heaven when in, in Revelation is the new Jerusalem that comes down on this earth. And it's a nice small building, a small place. It's only 15, 1,500 cube miles, just a small place. And, we, and the rooms are placed in there for us to stay. And then we go out from there to do things. Yeah. And it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. And he says, hey, the rich don't take anything with them. The rich are just who they are. And this is why we as Christians need to be able to just say, I'm going to follow God. I'm not going to be bothered by the power, supposed power of the, of the wealthy, the supposed power of the, the well-placed in the government, because ultimately they all fail. The great dictators of this world have tried to build their empires that were going to last for, for centuries and, and millennia all die and their kingdoms die with them. And so we, we don't need to be fear, afraid of any of that. Now verse 14, uh, 17, excuse me. For when he dies, he shall carry away nothing. His glory shall not descend after him any, any glory. Verse 18, though while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise them when they do well for themselves. He shall go to the generations of his fathers. They shall never see light. Even if all the people think you're the greatest, per you know, greatest person to ever live, even those people are going to die, and their glory does not follow them into the grave. It's... It's, this, is, this is one of these, kind of an interesting one to preach because it's so, 
kind of negative, but, but it is all true. And this is what he's saying. He's giving a dark saying, a riddle. What is there that's worth, worth it being out there? And it says, he shall go to the generation of his fathers, in other words, the grave, and shall never see light. When they die, the body is dead. It doesn't see anything more. It doesn't, it's not going to see anything. Verse 20, man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beast that perish. Okay? Everything is going to die. You know, and we've all seen it. Animals die. If you've ever had an animal, we usually outlive our animals and we see them die. Uh, animals are, you know, other animals are designed for food, you know, raised for food. They die. And he's saying our ultimate destination is death. First Peter says it is appointed unto men to die, once to die, and after that the judgment. Now that one verse will, will help you. If you ever meet somebody who's talking about reincarnation or trying to bring reincarnation into Christianity, he says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment. There's not a repeated, we're not going to live life over and over and over and over again until we get it right. We have one life to live, and then we stand before God. And very important, and this is what this verse is all about, we have one life to live. And we, and we want to remember that whether we are rich or poor doesn't matter, whether we've got great praise or, or nobody praises us doesn't matter. It's how we live before God. Well, you took care of your tires. Yeah, I got to, yeah. Yeah, took care of things so you don't have that so. or have a problem. All right, we've got about a couple minutes. Does anybody have any questions or thoughts? Try and uh, kind of guess, like your tires or anything that might cause a problem and cause you to die. You try and prevent any damp, dangerous um, uh, situations from happening and having to be yeah. towed, towed or rolled or whatever. And my tires were getting too dangerous. I had to replace them whether I had the money or not, so we did. When the belts are showing, it's time to, it's way past time to get your tires changed. Right, so that's what, I mean, you, you pre, uh, try and do the maintenance on yeah. to keep you uh, safe. And, and that's one of those things you do because it is just a wise thing to do and it's not pushing your luck. Yeah, you know. well, I was glad to see that. I, you know, yeah. keep uh, observing stuff like that. Well, let's close in prayer and... Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for just the truth that we are not to fear anything. You are in control of all, and, and all people will die, and whether they're great or small or, or, or rich or poor or strong in, the, in their ways that they go, all people will die, and you know that that's true, and you teach us that. And, but by living through you, we can have an eterni eternity in our spirit with you, and that eventually you'll create the new heaven and earth and give us new bodies and that we will be getting bodies that will last forever. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.